Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will read the first seven verses. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And that's as far as we will go. Now, last week we spent a fair bit of time um, on verse 1 and thinking about it. And I want to draw your attention back to it just as a reminder here. Verse 1 begins Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Ignorance is not a good reason to be deceived, misled, carried away in things that you ought not be carried away in. It is a reason, but it's not a good reason. Concerning spiritual gifts, we should not be ignorant. Paul has no desire for us to be ignorant. The Spirit of God has no desire for us to be ignorant. And then we come to the first litmus test of what it means to evaluate what the Holy Spirit is doing. And the first test of what the Holy Spirit may or may not be doing is what is being said about Jesus. What is being said about Jesus? Verse 3. I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Paul says this, He's saying it as an introduction to everything else he's going to say about spiritual gifts. But at the outset, he expects everybody to understand. There is no one speaking by the Spirit of God who blasphemes Jesus Christ. So, if you want to do an evaluation, just surface level, of various ministries, people, movements, books, writers, singers, a great place to start is what does this person truly say about Jesus Christ? Because I don't care how many albums they've sold, I don't care how many books they've published, I don't care how big their ministry is, how big their website is, I don't care how many people will stand up and with tears falling from their eyes will say... This ministry has been so powerful and life-changing to me. I don't care about any of that when it comes to this evaluation if what they say about Jesus is wrong. Now, I think it's great if addicts stop doing drugs. Period. I think that's great. I think it's great if drunks stop drinking. I think it's great if violent people stop being violent. 
It's good if husbands start to behave like loving husbands. Wives start to behave like loving wives. All that's great. But if it is coming out of a teaching ministry or a movement or an inspiration that says blasphemous things about the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is ultimately saving no one. It is at best helping them a little practically in this world. But what good is it, brothers and sisters, to be free from cocaine on this earth and die and spend eternity in hell? You tell me the value of that. What good is it to be transformed into a self-controlled, non-violent person who shows proper affection to his wife and children and die and spend eternity under the wrath and judgment of God? What's the benefit? Paul is making it very clear. Before we talk about speaking in tongues or healing or messing around with snakes or running up and down in aisles or anything else, before we even touch the surface, there's a really easy test you can do. Before you proceed, what do they believe about Jesus? Here is John 15. Verses 26 and 27. We're going to turn around a little bit. I'm happy to give you references. If you're not quick with uh, your Bibles and flipping around, write the references down. Look them up later. Okay? This is Jesus speaking of the helper that would come after he ascended into heaven. Now the helper is the Holy Spirit of God. So when you hear helper, think of the Spirit of God that would come upon followers of Jesus Christ after he ascended. Okay? This is what he says. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Who's he talking to? His disciples. The men who he had spent three years walking around with and teaching. The men who had observed his character, who knew who Jesus the man was. The men who would not stand for a fraudulent depiction of him. He is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will testify of me and you will affirm that testimony because you know me. What does the Holy Spirit of God do? It brings people to Jesus. It testifies of Jesus. It is the spirit of truth, according to that verse. It doesn't say false things about Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God says true things because the Holy Spirit of God proceeds from the Father. This is all John 15, 26. The Holy Spirit of God will testify of Jesus. Now, I missed the, the part where it says the Holy Spirit of God is going to make sure we have a lot of money. I'm, I can't seem to find that in the text. Because when I read it, it seems to say the Holy Spirit of God is going to testify true things about the Son of God. You do the evaluation. Here is the next chapter. This is John 16, 
verses 5 through 14. If you can make it there, I encourage you to make it there. John 16, verses 5 through 14. Jesus speaking, But now I go away to him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's talking about returning to his father in heaven. Now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Finally, Jesus' disciples understand that he must die on a cross, he must rise from the grave, he must ascend into heaven. And they're sad. So he's saying, I'm going away, but they're not saying, what do you mean like to Bethlehem or to, or to Galilee? No, you get it now and you are sad. You are sorrowful. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Who is the helper? The Holy Spirit of God. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will. So this is a great question. What, what does the Holy Spirit of God do? What does he do? Now if you, if you want to browse around on YouTube, you can see all kinds of things that he purportedly does. I mean, he takes people over. They fall into trances. They stumble around as if they were drunk. As a matter of fact, they, they call it being drunk with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God has more works and things attributed to Him than any other person being on the planet. But what does Jesus say the Holy Spirit of God does? What's well, right here. When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When he comes, he's going to say true things about the Messiah. And when they learn of the Messiah and the God who sent this Messiah to die on the cross for their sin, the world will be convicted of sin. They will know the foreign righteousness of Jesus Christ that they cannot find in their own lives. And they will feel the breadth of of the reality of judgment that stands upon the shoulders of every human being apart from the saving knowledge of this Jesus whom the Spirit of God testifies. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Is this not what the Holy Spirit does in the book of Acts when He shows up? The Holy Spirit shows up on the day of Pentecost. 50 days after the whole events of the crucifixion, he shows up. And he shows up. And you know what happens? Peter stands up and he preaches a message. And you know what he says in that message? This Jesus whom you crucified, and they are convicted of sin, it says they are cut to the heart. Why? Because they know their sin. And they know the righteousness of God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. And they understand the judgment that they face apart from salvation. Verse 9. He will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. If you're sitting here this morning, perhaps you've been here many mornings. Perhaps you've been here for years. 
and you are not a Christian, you don't claim to be a Christian, you have probably felt the Spirit of God doing this exact thing many times because they do not believe in me. And maybe you feel it and, and you say, uh, I know that I don't believe in Jesus. And when you say that, it doesn't fill you with confidence and arrogance and a sense of happiness. It feels like conviction. It feels almost the same as someone telling you about sin that you know they're right about. It's a conviction, not because you have done something wrong, not because you've gone out and punched somebody in the face or talked about them behind their back or lied about them, but it's a conviction that feels eerily similar to that because you know, I don't believe in Jesus. And it, it, it doesn't leave you feeling well. It feels like conviction. If you feel that, but you know, it's, it, uh, this is a bit of a rift, but if you feel that, can you just be challenged with the question, why would you feel bad about that? Why would you feel bad about that? That's what conviction is. It's when you feel convicted. You feel like convict, criminal. You feel like you're doing something wrong. If you don't believe in Jesus and it leaves you feeling distressed or bad, why? Now you could answer that a couple different ways. You could say, well, it's because I'm being emotionally manipulated by the pastor. Uh, there are people that do that. I try not to emotionally manipulate people. Maybe you see some of the emotion that, that comes across for me sometimes and you say, oh, well, that's just phony. He's really hamming it up. It's not true. Condemn me of that in your head if you want, but it's not true. But if you know you're not just being emotionally manipulated and yet you still feel bad about not believing in Jesus Christ, why would you feel bad about that? Do you feel bad about not believing in, I don't know, Kids, just close your ears. The tooth fairy? If, there's, if, there, if I've just destroyed a child's world over the tooth fairy, then I'm sorry. I chose that fictional character with thought to not choose others, okay? But, so I did the best I could with that, all right? Do you feel bad about that? If Jesus is no more the Son of God than the tooth fairy fluttering around and delivering dollar bills or coins or whatever to, to you when you lose, why would you feel bad about it? If you do feel bad about it, I would like to suggest to you that that's because you're not just coming up against a reality or a, or a, a myth that, that you're struggling with believing. It's not that simple. You are being convicted by the actual Spirit of God, the creator of the universe who created you with purpose, who would redeem you for that purpose, and when you reject Him, there is turmoil. I want to continue on here. 1 John 16. He'll convict of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. A foreign righteousness. A righteousness only recognized in Christ. That's the idea. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. They will be convicted of judgment because they know that the way they are living their life according to this world, according to the ruler of this world, chasing after their own lust and desires will face judgment from God. 
Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. Now, do you know what that is? That's this. Written by the apostles. Written by the disciples of Jesus Christ. The things that Jesus would say to them now, but they are not ready. But when the Spirit of God comes, the Spirit of God would testify about Jesus, this man that they knew. And they would give us God's Word, all that we need for life and godliness. Brothers and sisters, this is a big deal. So this morning, I want to touch on four, four things about Jesus that you must believe. Four things. Now, I have taken these four things from a book, Basic Theology by Charles Ryrie, which is a very, very famous book, Charles Ryrie. Matter of fact, when I was a young man, 16, 17, maybe I was in my late, maybe I was 18, 19, I was with a group of young men, uh, not young men, I was with a group of men in this church. It was me, Eric Durr, Rodney Reynolds, and Dennis Petrie. And we sat in the back and we tried to work through the doctrines of God. Now, I was the youngest. Next time you see Eric, let him, make sure you let him know that I made that point clear. And we wrestled with what the Bible says about God. And when I, I uh, graduated high school, which was during this time, I was 18, and I, was, I, was fin that, this is, I remember now, I was finished up my senior year. When I graduated high school, Dennis gave me Basic Theology by Charles Ryrie. And I knew this book because I'd seen it on my dad's shelf. And I want you to know, these are the kinds of Christian books that I read. I don't, I don't read, by and large, the, all the Christian books that get published. If I'm not going to be reading the Bible, what I need is a commentary about the Bible that I can process and think about so that I better understand the Bible or commentary about theology that, as you will see, constantly references back to the Bible so I can think through what I'm reading. Because I believe that this contains all that we need for life and godliness. This. I've never led a book study here at the church. I'm not condemning anybody who leads a book study. My wife has been a part of books and led book studies. Yeah, I'm not condemning any of that. I'm telling you, my conviction is so strong here. I will wrestle with it until I'm blue in the face. This is what I want to understand. This. So I want to cover four things from this basic theology book with you. One. It's actually A in my notes, but I don't know why I chose alphabetical characters instead of numbers. Just that's an aside. But the pre-existence of Jesus. Or you might call this the eternality of Jesus, the eternal nature of Jesus. Jesus existed before the world began. Jesus was not created 
at the birth of Christ to Mary. Jesus was not created at the beginning of the world. Jesus was not created with the angels. Jesus is eternal because Jesus is God, which will be our fourth point. But it's enough for now to say, Jesus pre-existed all of creation. If you say he did not, then he is not God and you are calling Jesus a liar. Here is Jesus in John 3.13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus testifies that he comes from heaven. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Go on in John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is not a creation of God the Father. Jesus is not a creation of anyone. He is eternal. What does this mean about Jesus? It means there is a sovereign God of the universe with a plan for this world and the plan for this world is not about you. This world was not created for you. This world was not created to say something about you. And if you try to find your place in this world by finding a way to make it about you, you will not be successful in following Jesus Christ. This world was created by God and for God. And God in Christ will inherit it. This is a big view of God that puts him in charge of everything. Understand what I'm saying. Jesus had to be born to a virgin and live a sinless life and die a death on the cross to be the propitiation for our sins, the substitute for our sins. And he rose from the grave so that sinners could go to heaven and be with God eternally. Could know God, right? That was not God's ability to hit Satan's curveball. You need to understand that. God did not create Adam and Eve, and then, oh man, Satan, Adam, Eve, they really messed things up, so I guess we'll give them a few thousand years, and during that time, we'll plot up a plan, and we'll execute that plan. Uh, I guess I'll go down and do it, and uh, I'll go to the cross, and, uh, and that, then we can get back on course for the plan. That's not what happened. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, which is to the right if you're in 1 Corinthians. It's to the right if you're in John 2. It's after Galatians. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Listen to what this says about Jesus. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He, that is God, chose us in Him, Him is Jesus, chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm struggling with this, so you'll have to help me. Did Adam and Eve bring sin into the world before or after the foundation of the world? After. Oh, we got one person that's put this together. That's, no, I know you all have it. You're just humble and don't want to look prideful and, and, and proud of your, of your brilliance. Sin happened after the foundation of the world. What do we have the audacity to read here? That God chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Okay, well maybe he chose us and then the world got founded and God, you know, didn't, didn't expect any sin but then it happened and so now he's got to find a way since he chose us, now he's got to find a way to adjust to Satan's curveball and make it happen. Nope. Look at the verse. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, God chose us that we would be holy and without blame. Does without blame describe you? Apart from Jesus Christ? No, you're a sinner apart from Jesus Christ. So how do we get to be holy and blameless before God? Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. In other words, before the foundation of the world, God chose to adopt you into his family by the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Which means God knew you would need adopted into his family before the foundation of the world. He had a plan for a Christ. Christ is a Messiah. Messiah is a Savior. He knew you would need saving before the foundation of the world. And before the foundation of the world, he planned Christ. Why? Because Christ is eternal. Jesus is not God's reaction to something Satan did. This was God's design to glorify Christ. Look, that's what it says here. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. This is what God wanted. He wanted to demonstrate His character. He wanted to demonstrate His love by doing something for people amazing, dying, God dying for them, God redeeming them, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. The beloved is Jesus. He has made us acceptable. Jesus is eternal. This world is not about you. This world is about the creator. This world is not about you. Your life is not about you. It's about the redeemer. Second quality of Jesus Christ. He has equality with God the Father. and We could add the Holy Spirit in there. But it's important we understand equality with God the Father. Do not get that wrong. 
Here's Jesus in John 10.30. I and my Father are one. Here is Jesus in John 10.28. I give my people eternal life. He claims that power for himself. Why? Because he and his Father are one. John 17.5. Jesus praying to God the Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. Now there is clearly a relationship between God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ being described to us that is not easy for us to understand. Clearly. But in our efforts to understand it, we are not allowed to make Jesus less than God. We are not allowed to claim some secondary status as if he were a creation of God. Uh-uh. He is eternal. He is equal with God. Jesus is not a little God to the big God. Nor is Jesus a great man to the big God. Jesus is God. He has equality with the Father. No person speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit of God can testify other than that. I don't care how good they sound, what they seem to be able to do, what miracles seem to flow from their fingertips, the Holy Spirit does not lie about Jesus and Jesus did not lie about himself. Equality with God. C, third point. We must recognize Jesus as creator. If you're hearing these points, you're saying they all seem to be saying some version of the same thing. Yeah. Yes. Right. He's eternal because he's God. He, he, equality with God the Father because he's God. He, he's the creator because he's God. Yes. Colossians 1.16. You can turn there if you'd like. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you're flipping through there, it's pretty close. Colossians 1.16 For by Him, that Him is Jesus. Read, read the book. That Him is Jesus. Colossians 1. For by Him all things were created. Well, now sometimes... All doesn't really mean all. Let's just pause. I mean, if I if I said you know, um, you know, the, I, you know, I've done everything. Well, I don't mean I've literally done everything. I mean I've done a lot. So sometimes in our language, all doesn't really mean all. But look at the clarifying phrase that comes next, and see if you can find the exception to all things being created by Jesus. Here it is: For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible or invisible. And then the, the verse ends, all things were created through him and, this will go back to the previous point, 
for him. Remember when I said the world was not, this is not about you. This is not about mankind. This is not about the greatness of mankind. No, no, no. This is about Jesus. All things. Uh, let's start putting all to the test. The water that is in this bottle. Yep. All things. Now that's an easier one. How, that's visible, right? How about gravity? Whoa, hold on. We didn't sign up for any metaphysical lessons this morning. No, 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 no. Gravity. How about the laws of nature that bind us? Yep. All things created by Him. Uh, how about angels? Yep. Heaven. Yep. You're not going to find the exception here. Jesus created all things. All things were made through Him and for Him. This is John 1 again, isn't it? Yes. In the beginning was the Word. Now we know in John 1 the Word that he's talking about is Jesus because he goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. That's John's testimony of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. The Bible seems pretty clear about this. What does it say about people who claim the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit who can't get this part right? Jesus, Creator. Jesus, who looked out at a raging sea and said, Be still. And the disciples in horror, not happiness, not joy, but in terror, asked themselves, What manner of man is this that even the winds and seas obey him. He created the elements that dictate the movement of water on the sea and wind across the surface. He created the gravity that would pull a man into the water and he can just as easily defy the same law as if it were nothing and walk across it. This is Jesus whose introductory miracle in his ministry is to take a bunch of pitchers of water and without a word, without a motion, without a cantation, without a big display, without a show, without any great cry of prayer, can turn them into wine. This is no mere man. Last point about Jesus. The summary point, I would say, and yet I have to say it, it must be a point. Jesus is God. He is pre-existent or eternal. He is equal with God the Father, not lesser. 
He is the creator by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made that were made. And he is God. Now listen to me. I'm going to be totally transparent with you. The Trinity is beyond me. It's beyond me. The doctrine of the Trinity is man's trying to make sense and understand this relationship that you and I cannot fully wrap our heads around. That God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit are one being described as three persons that interact, that hold counsel. One being in three persons. I can't understand that. Do you know why I can't understand that? Because I am a physical person confined by the very laws of nature that God created when he established this earth. And I cannot be two people. I mean, one of the, this is the basic laws of space. Space and time. This is, this is simple. In order for me to be a person, I must occupy a space. And yet we know that does not apply to God. You know that. Whether you have thought about it or not, you know that. Because if we acknowledge the presence of God through His Spirit, we know He is operating on a dimension that is unconstrained in a way that you and I are constrained. Anyone who tells you, oh, the Trinity, yeah, I can explain that. Just think of it like this. Run. Run. I've heard this nonsense. It's, it, none of it lasts. None of it truly holds up. And what I really like is when they try to make it a metaphor. Yeah, it's just like a triangle. Or it's just like this. Or you know, it's just like this. No, it's not like anything. <laughs> it ain't like any of that. When we hear Jesus described to us, the Holy Spirit of God in the text described to us, the triune nature of God, it is meant to be foreign. Well then why, why is God describing himself in a way that is foreign to us and tough to understand? Because it's true? Whether you understand it or not? Because it's true? That's why he's describing it that way. Well, why doesn't he take time to, to explain it all in great detail? Because I don't think we're going to get it if he does or he doesn't. I mean, he tells us the basics. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Don't you understand? No! No. It's like sitting in your room and trying to understand eternity and how time works. How can there be a God that is not confined to a beginning? Every second of every day of my entire existence has been confined by time. Time, we know, is a physical property. It's a physical dimension. Time behaves differently the further you are away from gravitational pulls. Time is relative. This was Einstein's great, you know, discovery. How am I supposed to deal with concepts of eternity? I'm not! But God is eternal. And so he tells me that and says, Reggie, believe it. It's true. So I do. Now, Colossians 2.9 will be a fine proof text for this. Where it says of Jesus, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
if all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in Jesus, then we're not talking about three different gods when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're talking about one God. And when he is bodily in the flesh, it is the person of Jesus Christ. That much is true. And I hesitate to describe that in any detail because I don't want to say something that's not true on accident. This is hard. And anybody who's going to put on their $10,000 suit and load up their finger with rings and tell you, oh, this is simple. Let me explain it to you. Run. Run. They don't know what they're talking about. And there's a lot of them that don't know what they're talking about. Now, the major Christian cults in the world today that you have heard of get the person of Jesus consistently wrong. For instance, Mormons. Now, Mormons use a lot of Christian language. They talk about Jesus. They talk about God. They talk about the cross. They talk about the need for forgiveness of sins. They use a lot of Christian language. Mormons began with a guy by the name of Joseph Smith who having rejected ideas of the Trinity that were taught in his church went out to discover a new idea and a new way of thinking and he was supposedly led by an angel with a name, Moroni, not a biblical angel, in a vision, in a dream. And this angel showed him where he could go out and uncover tablets here in the United States that had been buried by Israelites who around 600 BC had left Israel and somehow made it to America. And they had written all these tablets from God. And this angel Moroni, here about a hundred years ago, was showing Joseph Smith where those tablets were buried so he could uncover the real testimony of God. Because according to this angel, every Christian in the world who claimed to be a Christian when Joseph Smith was alive was wrong. None of them actually were. Because they didn't have these tablets. So he said he woke up from the dream and he goes out to where the angel showed him and he says he dug up the tablets and he said he uses seeing stones to translate the tablets and from the tablets we get the Book of Mormon and in the Book of Mormon Jesus is not God. Jesus is the brother of Satan created by God with one of his wives. The God that we recognize in the Bible is not the real God. Instead, he's the God who, like Jesus, was himself born and attained the status of the real God. And there are lots of planets and lots of worlds. This is Mormonism. How do we know it's wrong? It's real simple. Because a person claiming to be directed by the Spirit of God said a lot of lies about Jesus. Proceed no further. But of course... People have proceeded much further to the tune of millions of people, millions of people who claim to be Christians with the right revelation of God given to them by the Spirit of God that denies the basic characters and quality of Jesus that he himself attributes to him. Christian science. This is... Mary Baker Eddy, if you want to look at the history of it, denies 
denies the Godhead, of, denies Jesus' place as God. Islam. We don't think of Islam as a Christian cult. I include it all the time. Because Islam is hundreds of years after Jesus and it's about a, a man in the Middle East who took the Bible and claimed that God in spirit form made him a prophet to reinterpret what the Bible says about Jesus and God. And from Muhammad's writings we have the book of you know, Quran, etc., whatever it is. The holy prophet's writings. All it is is a reimagining of what's in the Bible. Jesus is now a good teacher. He's not the son of God. Um, instead of the line of Abraham, there's another line that's really the truth. It's just a reimagining of the Bible. But all across the Middle East, there are Muslims carrying Bibles with portions that they're supposed to read and portions that they're supposed to cross-reference with their scriptures. Again, because the Spirit of God showed up and gave a prophet something that says lies about Jesus. Jehovah's Witness, same thing. Denying the eternal nature of God in Jesus Christ. Denying that Jesus Christ is God and setting up a board of governors out of New York who act and who themselves, through the power of the Holy Spirit, interpret the scriptures for everybody else in denial of what the scriptures plainly say. All of these things could have been avoided if we knew what we believed about Jesus and we were uncompromising in it. And I praise God that many of you, if not all of you, do. But be warned. There are people quietly and deceptively, constantly mucking around with the person of Jesus Christ. If you take the person of Jesus Christ and you take it out of the picture, what gospel are you left with? Let me read to you from 1 John. Just listen. This is 1 John chapter 1. It sounds similar to John 1, but listen. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. Who is John writing to Christians about? Jesus. Why is he writing so descriptively? Because we are not even 70 years from the birth of Jesus Christ when John writes this letter and already Christians are being deceived by false teachers who claim under the power of the Holy Spirit to be saying things about Jesus that the disciples themselves clearly are telling them are not true. But people are being deceived and John is saying, I'm writing this to you that your joy may be full, that it may be complete, that it may be real. Because there is no real, complete, full joy if you get Jesus wrong. 
Listen, that which we have seen, which we have heard. He's saying, I'm not some man claiming to have a vision in the middle of the night. I saw Jesus. (laughs) We've seen him with our eyes. We've heard him with our ears. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write that your joy may be full. And listen how he, listen to how he transitions from the person of Jesus to the gospel because you can't have one without the other. Listen. This is the message we have heard from Him, from Jesus, and declare to you, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This is gospel. When Jesus was born, He wasn't born as a mere man was born. I'm not even talking about the virgin birth, although yes, that is the reason, that is the mechanic. I'm not talking about the mechanic. When you were born, when Muhammad was born, angels did not show up and sing, Emmanuel, God is with us. Central to the gospel that we put our faith in to save us is the testimony of the Savior behind it. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Some of you may be deceiving yourselves this morning. I don't need a Savior. I don't have any sin that needs dealt with. Know this, the truth is not in you. You're lying to yourself. There's no truth in that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But here's the gospel, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen is right. If you turn the page to 1 John chapter 2, it doesn't take long for John to deal with what we're dealing with this morning in the same letter. Little children, it's the last hour, and you've heard that there are antichrists coming, people who are against the Messiah of God. And that even now, antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. So that it might be manifest that none of them were of us, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. That no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has also the Father. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Mormons, Christian scientists, Jehovah's Witnesses, prosperity preachers, 
People who would blaspheme the person of Jesus Christ under the guise of the Holy Spirit. These things I write to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone else teach you about Jesus. This is what you know about Jesus. There is no other message about him. Now folks, I know that I'm very animated. Last week, Evie came up to me on Sunday afternoon and she said, Dad, when you were yelling in the service, I thought you were really mad. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, okay? But this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And I don't get to speak to this every day in your life. And you go out there in the world and there's all kinds of literature and all kinds of blasphemy and all kinds of media and all kinds of heresy and all kinds of conversations. And I don't care how animated or loud I have to be to get the point across. No one is allowed to mess with Jesus. No one. Not me. Not your friend. Not a book. Not a movie. Not a story. No one gets to mess with Jesus. And anyone who does is not operating under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You don't need to do any other evaluation. You know, sometimes people will be like, well, you know, they said they were speaking in tongues. And I was listening and I couldn't really tell if they were speaking in tongues. I wasn't sure. Oh yeah, did you ask them what they believe about Jesus? No, we didn't get there. Well, let me save you a lot of time. Let's start with where Paul starts. Because you don't have to worry about anything else if that's a no. What do you say about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? What are you going to step out into the judgment of God in eternity on? I don't care how much money you have in your bank account now. I don't care about whether or not you're sick or healthy. I mean, all those things from a compassion perspective I care about. But what I'm really concerned about is what do you say about Jesus? I know whom I believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him unto him against that day of judgment. I believe that when I die... None of my sin will be counted against me. Not because of anything I've done to make up for it. Not because of how good of a person I am. I am a wretched sinner. Some of you know that personally to be true. I'm sorry. But I know who I have committed this sinful life to. Jesus Christ. And I know, I am persuaded that He is able to keep that commitment. And on the day of judgment to save me from my sin to claim me as his child, to give me an eternal inheritance that I don't deserve. Why? Because he is God. There is no higher authority. If he came and died on a cross and rose from the grave to give wretched sinners eternal life, if they will believe him, then I believe him. And he can do it. What do you say about him? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I am convicted that when we talk about spiritual gifts, the conversation is often misguided and misunderstood. And there are many who wonder, why do we even care so much about these things? Because the conversation gets so far into the weeds, as sometimes it must around practices and what we see, 
And yet, Father, if we would just go back to the beginning with some of these things, we would be spared from all sorts of distraction and calamity if we know what we believe of you and we believe the account of your Son and we trust that your Spirit and you and He are one and there is no lie or deception in you. Give us a right understanding of Christ. Let it inform the way that we live. Let it inform the decisions that we make. Let it inform the priorities of our lives. A right understanding of Jesus. So that we may fulfill Paul's instruction in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Help us to know your Son. Help us to listen to your Spirit to learn from your word and to be given to be that kind of transformative people. People transformed by your word. And let us discount any silliness that would represent itself as a revelation of you while denying the great work you have done in your son Jesus. Let's call it for what it is. Give us the courage and the boldness to do so. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.